Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our risen and living Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The word of God which we hear this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 13 to 31. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem, and have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. Yet we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets had spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things, and then to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone further, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. So far the word of the Lord. Sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. Perhaps some of you remember the last play of the Packer-Viking game on November 6, 2000. It was overtime. The score was tied. Far passed to Freeman, but Freeman tripped and fell on the ground. The Viking defender reached out trying to intercept, but dropped it on Freeman's back. Then Freeman, even though he was flat on the ground, somehow caught the ball and ran it in for a touchdown. That was the first and only Packer game that I was ever at in person. And it was cold, and it was late, and it was wet. It was a November evening, Monday night game in overtime. So most of the people had already started to leave. Even when, once it went into overtime, a lot of them had, had got up to leave. And many more, when they saw Freeman down on the ground, also got up to leave. Many of them were standing in the aisle, walking out, when they realized it's not over yet. Freeman is up and running and scored the touchdown. 
I remember sitting there thinking, why are they leaving? It's not over yet. Of course, <clears throat> for me, since it was my first and only live Packer game, I was a little more motivated to stay through to the end of the game than, than some of them were. But the point is, it's not over yet. Two of the disciples in our text were leaving. It's not just the fact that they were walking away from Jerusalem, although that's part of it. But their whole attitude is one of, it's over. It's time to leave. They're walking away from Jerusalem. They keep talking about Jesus in the past. We had hoped. Notice how they call him a prophet, mighty in word and deed, but they no longer refer to him as the Christ, the Messiah. Their hopes are dashed. They believe it's over. They're ready to leave. Yet they're about to find out that it's not over yet. It wasn't over yet for them, and it's not over yet for us. Easter is not over yet. There's a basket, a colorful basket, that's still filled with chocolate at our house. My wife covers it with a magazine so she won't be tempted to eat the chocolate, but it's still there, and we know even if we can't see it, we know it's there. Even if we can't see the Lord, we know that he's still there, he's still with us. And as long as he abides with us, Easter's not over yet. He might be hidden from our eyes, but he is risen and with us. The account of the Emmaus disciples is one that teaches us that Easter is not over. Not the Easter of last week, not the chocolate and the egg hunts, that's going to be over pretty soon, regardless of how many magazines my wife puts on top of it. But the true Easter, the resurrection of our Lord, is not over ever yet, as long as Christ walks with us. I think that's why the picture on the front of your bulletin is one that is so well-loved. You see it quite a bit, don't you? Because it shows Easter not as it was to the women, not the empty tomb, but Easter as it is to us now. Jesus, the risen Jesus, walking with us in our life to teach us his word and to reveal himself to us in his word and in his sacraments. It's not over yet. At the beginning of uh, <coughs> the text, our sermon text today, the two disciples are leaving Jerusalem. And yet at the end, they're returning to Jerusalem. At the beginning, they're filled with sad and gloom, but at the end, they're filled with joy and gladness. At the beginning, they're talking about Jesus' suffering and death. At the end, they're talking about His resurrection. Jesus is risen. At the beginning, they thought it was over, but at the end, they knew that it was just beginning. Jesus walks with them to relieve them of their gloom and sadness and to give them joy. So it is with us as well, isn't it? Every Sunday, every Sunday, is a celebration of Jesus' resurrection. It doesn't matter if we're in Advent or Epiphany or Pentecost. 
Every Sunday is a chance to walk with that risen Jesus as he walked with those Emmaus disciples. Throughout the week, we have a tendency, like the Emmaus disciples, to forget that Jesus is risen. Throughout the week, we have a tendency to walk away from Jerusalem and away from Jesus. Throughout the week, we have a tendency to focus on death and the suffering of this world and the the problems of our lives and to accumulate sin. But we come every Sunday and Jesus comes to walk with us to remove that gloom and to restore to us the joy of His salvation, to lift us up through His Word. Psalm 42, verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance, his presence with us. It's not over yet. There is no end to the length or the depth of the comfort that Jesus offers us as he walks with us. Every week, lifting us up, returning us, from the gloom of this world to the joy of his resurrection. The disciples are are blind to the truth of who Jesus is. They don't recognize him when he walks with them at the beginning, but at the end, of course, Jesus opens their eyes. He reveals himself to them. The English translation here makes it sound as if There's an outside force, as if Jesus himself is the one who has closed their eyes. Their eyes were covered, it says. The Greek is more nebulous, actually. It leaves room for either interpretation, that it's Jesus who does not want them, at this point, to recognize him, and so has covered their eyes, or that it is simply they themselves, through their sin and their unbelief, which have closed their eyes to the truth of who Jesus is. Regardless of whether Jesus himself closed their eyes or not, it is quite clear from the text that these disciples had closed their hearts through unbelief, that they did not expect to see Jesus and were not looking for him. Over and over again, we often close our eyes as well and our hearts to the power of Jesus' resurrection that is present in our life. We forget, don't we, that Easter is not yet over. We forget that the risen Savior walks with us and his power is present. But despite our weakness of faith, despite our unbelief and our closed hearts, Jesus promises in Isaiah 42, verse 3, A bruised reed he will not break, and the smoking flax he will not quench. Why does the Lord appear to these two disciples? They are not two of the twelve. They are are never mentioned again in Scripture. At least Cleopas is never mentioned again. The other disciple, we don't know who he is, but it's probably somebody who is never mentioned again. They are not of great faith, right? They are some of the weakest of the the disciples. And yet, they are among the first to see the risen Jesus. It's precisely because of their weakness of faith 
that Jesus appears to them. He reaches out to them. He's the good shepherd going after the lost sheep and bringing them back, strengthening those who are weak. The bruised reed he will not break. Very often, because of our weakness, we close our eyes to the truth of his power. It's not over yet, is it? Jesus, the good shepherd, reaches out to us as well through his word to bring us back by his grace. Jesus comes to open our eyes. Jesus miraculously appears to them, although they don't recognize it as a miraculous appearance. All of a sudden, he's walking with them. But even more suddenly, at the end, he's gone from their sight. And that might have made them a little sad, although they were too joyful that they saw the risen Lord, I guess, to be, be conscious or worry about the fact that he was gone from their sight all of a sudden. Remember earlier on Easter morning, Jesus told Mary, I have not yet ascended to my Father and to your Father. This indicates to us that Jesus is still, at this point, somewhat limited according to his human nature. He has not ascended to the full power and glory of God. And so in this glorified but somewhat limited state, he appears to this disciple or to that disciple. But he's only in one place at any given time, right? After his ascension, these, these types of appearances stop. He no longer visibly walks with his disciples or appears to them as he did the Emmaus disciples. He is gone from our sight as he was gone from the Emmaus' disciples to sight, sight. And yet, earlier he told his apostles that it is to your advantage that I go away. Because even though he has gone from our sight, he is now able, according even to his human nature, to fulfill his promise to be with us always, even to the end of the age. Even though he is hidden, it's not yet over, is it? He lives and walks with us daily, even though we can't see him. It's like we can't see those chocolates, but we know they're there. He opened to them all of Scripture. That's not all, is it? He not only opened to them the truth of Scripture and revealed to them that it all is talking about him, but he also sits down to break bread with them and reveals himself through that breaking of bread. This breaking of bread that's talked about in our Gospel reading, our sermon text, does not appear to be a reference to the Lord's Supper. There is the breaking of bread there, but there is no cup, there is no wine, right? And it doesn't even seem like the, the disciples even eat the bread. They're too excited that they recognize Jesus uh, to eat the bread. It's possible that they had bread and wine, and Luke just simply doesn't record that, but it seems like this is just Jesus having a meal with his disciples, as he does in other resurrection appearances when he sits and eats the fish with the disciples on the seashore uh, and others as well. But even though it's, not, it's probably not a reference to communion, to the Lord's Supper, nevertheless, it is in some ways similar. Jesus does do for his disciples here part of what he does for us 
through the Lord's Supper, which is to sit and commune with them, to break bread with them, to have fellowship with them. The same as he, he does for us and we, in the Lord's Supper that we are about to receive. And it's in this breaking of bread that he reveals himself, that their eyes are finally open. I remember visiting a church in Germany once where they had three sermons. Each of the sermons was over 20 minutes long, and they were in Russian and German, so I couldn't, couldn't understand any of them. But I remember asked, after the service, talking to some of the members and mentioning that, well, why do you guys have three sermons? Well, they said, the sermon's the most important part of the service. So we figure we better have, have three of them for that reason. Is it, though? Jesus does talk to his disciples. He discusses the word. He opens the scriptures to them. And so in that way, he does give them a sermon as they walk and, and talk along the road. But notice the focus is the word, the scriptures. That's what's important. The sermon is, a, is an opportunity for us to, to wrestle with that scripture, with that word of God, to, to try and dig into it and understand it better, to try and wrap our lives around that word and see how it applies and what God has to say to us this Sunday. But the focus, the important thing, is the word, right? The sermon helps us to understand that, but the focus is the Word, the Scriptures, are the key. And yet it's not just the Scriptures themselves in our text. It's the Scriptures and the breaking of bread. The Scriptures and the sacrament. The Scriptures, their hearts burn when they hear Jesus explaining the Scriptures, right? But their eyes are opened through the breaking of bread. The Word and the sacrament. The two go together. You can't pick and say, well, this one is more important or that one is more important. Jesus comes to us through word and sacrament. Like peanut butter and jelly. They shouldn't be separated. Now some people like jelly, I suppose, without, without the peanut butter. But Peanut butter and jelly, together, God reveals himself to us. The Western church has a history of overemphasizing the rational, the word, and de-emphasizing the mystical, the sacrament. And the Eastern Church has the opposite. They have a history of overemphasizing the sacrament and the mystical, and de-emphasizing the word and how Jesus speaks to us through it. But it's not one or the other. It's both together. They belong together. Jesus reveals himself to us through both. Throughout the book of Acts, and remember that Luke wrote, not only our text, the book of Luke, and he went on to write the book of Acts. And so this, this theme comes back there. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, and in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. The two are always together. The worship is the word and the sacrament. God comes to us through both. We don't baptize our children and then send them out and say, okay, that's good enough. You don't need the word anymore. And we don't receive the word and say, okay, you don't need communion because you have the word. The two go together. It's not over yet. 
Jesus still comes to us in word and sacrament. The risen Jesus still walks with us in word and sacrament. And as long as we have his word and his sacrament together, Easter, the resurrection of our Lord, is not over. For he lives with us. That Monday night, 2000, so 22 years ago, it seems, doesn't seem like it was that long ago. That Monday night I learned not to give up on Freeman, even if he's lying on the ground, right? But more importantly, we learn with the Emmaus disciples not to give up on Jesus, even when he thinks he's lying on the ground in the tomb. It's not over yet. Jesus lives and walks with us. Amen.